Take your Bibles and and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 24. But before we open God's word, please pray with me if you would. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all scripture to be written for our learning, please grant us this morning the ears to hear and the hearts to receive your word today. We pray that that we would not only read it and and hear it and, and learn your word, but that we might inwardly digest it and by patience be comforted by your scriptures. Enable us to embrace and to hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life that you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for hearing our prayers. And we ask expectantly that you will work in our hearts. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of the book of Ephesians. And if we, as we do, I want you to get a feel for how God views his children. Because there is probably no other book in the entire Bible that presents the resources that are ours in being in Christ than the book of Ephesians. The book is sort of a a long cataloging of all that is ours as Christians. You know, what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His, that is God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And what he says in one succinct statement, the Apostle Paul magnifies and he unpacks to the fullest in the book of Ephesians. All of our completeness is here in Christ. All of the resources are, are here. And that's why Paul says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he takes six chapters and he unpacks what those blessings are. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear these blessings. I'm going to walk through this and I'm not going to go through it fast because I want you to to think about these things. And I want you to think about it in terms of your life, who you are in Jesus Christ. Have your Bibles open. We're going to do sort of an old-fashioned Bible drill. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. We are super loved in Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 7. We are forgiven and redeemed. In chapter eight, or chapter 1, verse 8, he says that we are given wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 11, he says that we are made rich in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13 says that we are secure, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 says that we are alive with a new life. Do you realize that? That the life that we have as Christians is different than the life that those have that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7, we are the objects of eternal grace. Not just grace, brothers and sisters, but eternal grace. Chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. Also in chapter 2, verse 10, we are called to a life of good works which God will do through us. Chapter 2, 
verses 13 through 18, we are one with God and with every other believer. Chapter 2, verse 19, we are members of God's intimate family. Brothers and sisters, do you hear that? We belong. We, we have a place. We are not alone. I don't care what you feel in this world. You are not alone. Chapter 2, verse 22, we are the very habitation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Chapter 3, Verse 20, we are all powerful beyond our imagination because of the spirit that dwells within us. Chapter 3, verse 21, we are able to glorify God. Now just stop and take that in for a moment. Do you see yourself in this way? That this is who you are? What an amazing thing that God has done beyond our imagination. Well, he's not done yet. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 3. We're told we possess the living Spirit of God in us. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. We are members of the body of Christ. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. We have received gifts and gifted men to perfect us to do the work of ministry. In chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. We have Jesus Christ to teach us to walk a new life. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we have received the love of God so that we can walk in love. Even those people that are difficult to love. Chapter 5, verse 8, we have received God's very light so that we may dwell in the light, that we can walk in the truth. Chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, we have received the wisdom and the truth of God so that we can walk wisely in this world. We talked about that yesterday at our, our men's breakfast. You know, how to live purely in an impure world. Well, God has given us that ability. Chapter 5, verse 18, we have received the power of the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, notice this is about the third or fourth time he has mentioned that, that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And then in chapter 5, verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 9, and we have received the resources to make every human relationship all that God has ever intended it to be. Chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. We have received invulnerable, invincible, fantastic, powerful armor against which Satan is pathetic and helpless. That is, if we use it. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I could just stop right there and say amen and we could go home. Okay, that is, that is a tremendous picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, since the power to stand is ours, then my question is, and why don't we? Why don't we stand Monday through Saturday? You know, why do we fall into de temptation and give in to the enemy and his attacks and his temptations? Let me suggest to you, it's because we do not appropriate these resources. That instead, oftentimes we, we live in our own strength and we live in our own knowledge. We have a belief in God. We just don't always live 
as if we need him. We, we have so much knowledge and we have so much information. We have these resources. We understand our position oftentimes in Christ, at least intellectually. We know the gifts that God has given to us. We've seen God's blessing. But it's easy for us to just move along and really not acknowledge God at all in our everyday lives. And I'm not saying we don't ever think about God. But I'm just saying that as we oftentimes face the circumstances of our lives, that our temptation can be to think, "How I, can, I got this. I can do this. I got to figure this problem out and I can do this myself. And so we can fall into a terrible sin of feeling that we're adequate and losing the sense of our dependence upon God. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know this is everybody's struggle. I pray with pastors. Um, I have in every pastor that I've been in. I get together with other pastors and pray. And, and it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in the office of a pastor and, and for him to be sharing his prayer requests and how he is struggling with the things that are going on in the church. And, he, and, and as we're talking and as we're praying, then he goes, yeah, I just forget that God is sovereign. I mean, he knows it. He stands up in the pulpit and he preaches it. But he forgets it sometimes. We, we all are there. And we need to remember that sense of dependence upon God. I, I guess we should pray as one brother prayed. He, he prayed that God would give us enough success to know that, that God's there, but enough failure to desperately need him. The armor that God gives us, that we've been talking about the last several weeks it's not just some mechanical thing. It's not just some magical thing. It needs God. God infuses into the armor and God infuses into our resources, his power and, and his energy, if you would. So there's a potential danger that Christians who have a knowledge of, of doctrine and a, and a fairly effective grip on practical spiritual truths uh, may know those things. And yet, they don't understand that they need heart-rendering, passionate, constant prayer. I appreciate what John MacArthur said. He said, you know, the armor is great, but we need prayer to appropriate those things in our lives. But oftentimes, the tragedy is that we don't. And, and that's why... Uh, the epistle begins in the heavenlies, in essence. If you go back to chapter 1, you see that. And really, Paul keeps us in the heavenlies all the way through to show what God is doing. But it starts in the heavenlies, but where does the epistle end? On our knees. Paul is taking us back to prayer. Because all of our resources that we have in Christ are dependent upon prayer. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And, and if you look at verse 18, you see really he divides it up into four alls. A-L-L. All. He talks about praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so I want us to talk about those things this morning. The first things I want us to see, I'm going to sort of lump the first two together because they sort of go together, is the frequency and the variety of prayers that we are to have. The frequency and the variety of prayer. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
Now, I want to sort of take these out of order. I know maybe that's a no-no, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to take this out of order. And first of all, we're going to look at the variety of prayer that we are to offer to God in our struggle against Satan. We are to, we are to pray by means of all prayer and supplication. Now, the word that he uses for prayer is just a general, generic word for prayer. The word for supplication means to lift up the needs of, of others. So it's more specific. But as you include all these together, it really paints a picture that we need to be praying all kinds of prayers in our battle against Satan. So not only ought we to cry out to God for help as we struggle with Satan in our everyday life, but also to confess our sins in those times when we have sinned against a God and we have not stood firm, that we are to profess our faith in prayer and say, God, I know who you are, and do that. We ought to give prayers of adoration and thanksgiving, but also to have prayers of supplication or intercession, to pray for others. And I'm going to illustrate what this may look like as I speak further about the frequency of prayer. But for now, I just want us to see that the point that Paul's making is that all kinds of prayers are necessary. But then he goes on and he talks about the frequency that we are to pray. He says, we are to pray at all times. Now, Paul says this in a lot of his different letters that he writes to the different churches. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, he says to the Christians in Rome, be constant in prayer. To, to Timothy, this young pastor, he said, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. And, and to the Thessalonian church, he writes, pray without ceasing. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Does he mean that we're supposed to pray 24-7? Well, all of our lives are filled with so many other things that there's no way we could do that. I mean, we can't obey God's command to work and to care for our households and, and to share Christ with others and to do all these things and to be praying 24-7. So that's not what he means, but rather what he means is to live your life conscious of God continually in an attitude of prayer. To live your life conscious of God continually in an attitude of prayer. Now what that means is then, is, is that everything we see and everything that we experience in our life becomes a prayer. Let me give you some, some examples of that. If, if you're tempted, if I'm tempted, then immediately I find that that temptation becomes a prayer. Maybe something like this. Lord, you know what I'm going through. Help me, Lord, in this temptation. Might be something like that. Or if, or if you see something good, your, your, your first thought is, Wow, God, you are the source of every good and perfect gift. That is such a beautiful sunset. You are magnificent, God, in what you have made. And so there's prayers of thanksgiving. It might be that we see evil happening. Maybe we hear about it on the radio. Or maybe we experience it in our own lives. And as we see this injustice being done, we pray, Sovereign Lord who rules over all things, God, please make this right. Or if we meet someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, our prayer might be, Jesus, draw this person to yourself. Open their eyes to see. Right now, they have no desire for you, but I pray that you would open their eyes. Or it might be that if we're going through trouble and we're tempted to worry, that we might pray and just say, God, help! By the way, that's a very biblical prayer. Help! God, deliver me as I'm struggling. Now, now, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is this is the variety of prayer that we are to have in our lives. 
it, in every situation, we lift up our prayers to the Lord. So it, our life becomes sort of an ongoing prayer. Everything becomes a point of communication with God. Do you know why? Because God calls us to be dependent upon Him. So everything comes back to Him. Everything we experience comes back to Him. He is the center and He is the focus of our lives. But He also says that we are to pray in the Spirit. Now there's different views about what Paul's talking about here. Some insist that Paul is referring to our spirits uh, so that our prayer should involve passion and inner energy, which prayer ought to have. But there seems to be a little doubt that what Paul is referring to here is not our spirit, but the Holy Spirit. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, uh, earlier in Ephesians, Paul emphasized that we are to come to the Father through the Son by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying that we are to pray with the Holy Spirit's assistance and, and His power. And Paul explains that a little bit more in the book of Romans. If you turn over to Romans chapter 8, Verses 26 and 27, Paul explains it this way. He says, Likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And, he's, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. You see that? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray, but He does. And so the Spirit prays for us. And as the Holy Spirit prays for us, guess what? God answers every one of His prayers because He prays according to the will of God. And so we are to pray by faith, believing what we're praying for in concert with the Holy Spirit. We are to pray according to to the will of God. And as we do, uh, and we walk by, and do this by faith, we see that, that the Lord uh, works in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So that's the frequency and the variety, but also the manner in which we ought to pray. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, we are to be alert in prayer. Uh, you can't, Pray properly unless you see what's going around you. And let me suggest to you that I think one of the reasons why, and I don't know if you feel this way. Maybe I should ask for a show of hands. I don't know. How many of you guys feel overwhelmed and distracted by life? It just seems like so much stuff is coming at you. And you think, whoa, what is going on? Well, let me suggest to you that that's a ploy of Satan. Because he doesn't want us to be alert. He doesn't want us to be focused. And so, you know, he's given us these things like these phones. Now, I'm not saying the devil gave us cell phones, but, you know, those kind of things can distract us. And, and even with our schedules, we live in a day and a time where we have more expendable time. I know it doesn't feel like it, but we do. We have more expendable time. We have more expendable income. And so we have all these opportunities. So we might be involved in sports or music lessons or travel. Or even just trying to keep up with all of our possessions. And so we have all these things to do. And there's nothing wrong with these things. But they can cause us to be inward focused. And, and to be looking at ourselves and, the, and our own lives. And not being alert to what is going out there and what Satan is doing. But if we are to stand firm in the midst of the battle against Satan. Then we must be alert with our surroundings. 
it's no wonder that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He said, be watchful. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Now, why did he say that? Well, Peter answers that in another letter that he wrote, 1 Peter 5, 8. Actually, Peter sort of says the same thing at the beginning. He said, be sober-minded. Be watchful. And then he tells us why. He said, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this shows us how serious it is when we, when we fail to pray, when we fail to be alert in prayer. Oftentimes we don't pray because we don't see. We don't see the things that are going on. And we think of things only in terms of human interaction and not really understanding what is going on in the spiritual realm. Now, I'm not telling you to look for a demon behind every rock. But, you know, the things that we oftentimes struggle with, they do have spiritual source. So we must not only be alert, he tells us, but we also must persevere in prayer. You know, we, we live in a sort of an instant gratification society that expects quick fixes. You know, if we have to wait more than two days for our shipment to get to our house, we get our panties in a wad, I guess. You know, we just get really upset if we have to wait. Right. And 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 so oftentimes we come to God and we pray to him once and we wonder why he hasn't answered that prayer. Because we sort of apply the same idea, but, but he wants us to persevere in prayer. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, verse 10. Very familiar passage. He's, Jesus says, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, all of these are continuous actions. So you could read this verse this way. For everyone who keeps on asking, Receives and the one who keeps on seeking finds, and to the one who continues to knock, it will be open. In other words, this isn't just a formula for instant answers. You just ask, and God gives it to you right away. Uh, oftentimes, uh, it's uh, much more difficult than that. So, our prayers cannot consist simply of sort of easygoing, once in a while, dropping a prayer here and there. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Literally, that means persevere in prayer. Stick to it. Keep praying. Be strong, persevering, struggling in prayer over deep issues. It is the idea of being persistent in prayer, a lot like the widow, the parable that Jesus told of the widow and the judge in Luke chapter 11, where a widow was being treated unjustly. So she went to the judge and she pleaded her case. And what did he say? Ah, I don't care about you, woman. Get out of here. And she kept coming back to him and she kept coming back to him and she kept persisting and begging. And finally he's like, woman, you're driving me nuts. Just because of your persistence, I'm going to give you what you want. Now, God is not like that. God wants to give us good gifts, but he is telling us that we are to be persistent in that. Now, oftentimes that's sort of confusing. Well, what does he mean by persistent? He means to continue to pray day after day after day after day. For the things that we are lifting up to him. That we are to bring our request to him and not grow weary in asking. 
But understand that God doesn't always answer our prayers right away because He is a begrudging God. It's not that God, you know, it's like, oh, I think I'll just withhold this from them. And, and God is definitely powerful enough to answer our prayers. You know, I mean, He spoke and the world and everything came into existence. So it's not that God doesn't have the ability to do it. So why does God make us wait? Well, let me suggest to you that perseverance produces dependence on our part. It produces us to be dependent upon God. You know, but so often I think our temptation is to come to God and we lift up our prayers and we get nothing. We look out and God hasn't done anything. So what do we do? Our temptation then is to say, okay, well, what do I need to do to fix this then? And we get panicky and we decide we got to take the bull by the horns and we're going to handle it. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, when we do that, we rob ourselves of what God is seeking to do in our life. He wants us to continue to lift up our request to him, to, be, to, to, to foster that dependence upon him and, and to trust him. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's no action that goes along with prayer, but there is a sense of a, a dependence upon him that we must have um, if, if we are going to, to trust him. Uh, there are many Christians who can testify how God answers their prayer, but sometimes only after many long years. I think one great example is George Mueller of Bristol. Uh, he prayed for the salvation of two of his friends, listen to this, for over 50 years. 50 years. There's only a few of us in this room that have even lived that long. But that's how long he prayed for these friends. And when asked if he really believed that these two men would be saved, this is Mueller's reply. He said, do you think God would have kept me praying for all these years if he didn't intend to save them? You see that faith? He said, why would God have me pray for them all these years if he didn't plan to save them? So he continued to persevere. And eventually, both of those men came to faith in Jesus Christ. One shortly before Mueller died, and the other actually after Mueller died, that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't even see the fruits of our prayers, but God strengthens our faith through persistent prayer, and he draws us closer and ever dependent upon him as we pray each day. Brothers and sisters, is there anyone in here who has prayed for a long time? Maybe you have been praying for something for, for days and weeks, months, maybe years, and, and you're growing weary, let me encourage you, don't give up. Continue to pray. Continue to lift up your, your request before the Lord. Or maybe you're just beginning to pray for something and already you're getting discouraged and you want to give up. God commands us to be alert and to stick to it and continue to pray. And then finally, I want us to see that he tells us the object of prayer. So he says, look, I want you to pray. I want your life to be that of prayer. That in everything you pray. And when you pray, pray all kinds of prayers. Pray prayers of thanksgiving. Pray prayers of intercession and help. Even prayers of confession of sin. Do all these things. And to do so in an attitude of alertness. And an attitude of perseverance. Of not giving up. But he says, I also want you to pray for all the saints. So we're to pray for each other. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't pray for ourselves, but typically when we're in the midst of a spiritual battle or we're going through difficult times in our life, we have no problems remembering to pray for ourselves, right? We are definitely going to pray for ourselves because we feel the pressure of the enemy breathing down our necks. But he is encouraging us, though, to pray for others as well. And, and, the, Paul, and the point that Paul wants us to see is that standing firm is a corporate thing. Standing firm against the enemy is a corporate thing, not an individual thing. But oftentimes that's how we approach God's word, that, that we come to this in the, in the battle in his word. The, the way we do that is thinking, how can I stand firm? Or, or how can I help those in my household to stand firm? But he wants us to see that it, it is really the focus is more how can I pray that my brother and my sister stand firm? And we see Paul's example throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a few examples. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. No, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, I, don't, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's praying for this church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you. You see, Paul prays for others that they might stand firm. He, but but this is not um, this does not happen if we pray just sort of casually or if we pray uh, sort of sporadically or even in a nebulous way. Uh, Rick Phillips, a PCA pastor, tells the story of when he was in seminary. He said he he learned a really important lesson. He said there was an all-day prayer meeting at his seminary, and they divided people up into groups, and he got put with a bunch of Korean women, and he was the only guy. And so the women said, well, why don't you pray first? And so Rick got up and he began to pray. They were supposed to pray for missionaries that they knew. And so Rick got up and he, he prayed for what's his name somewhere in Europe that God would bless his ministry. And, and, and Rick prayed for that woman whose name that he had forgotten who was serving in uh, Mongolia that maybe God would provide whatever her needs happened to be. And so he found himself praying very uh, flippantly. But then he said, when he got done praying, he goes, that's when the real praying started. He said, these Korean women began to pray. And he said, I was so humbled by their prayers. He said, as they prayed for their missionaries, he said, they prayed not only for every missionary by name, but with detailed knowledge of their needs. They prayed for one missionary's leaky roof, another who had no access to light bulbs, another who's had a neighbor who was harassing them. They prayed for their ministry burdens as well as praying specifically for people that these missionaries were ministering to that did not know Jesus, that they would come to faith in him. And Rick said, he said, you know, I listened to the prayers of these Korean women and he said, I realized they were like that of the Apostle Paul, uh, that there was a, a heart connection and a personal interest in who they were praying for. 
And he said, that's what our prayers ought to be. When Paul prayed, he didn't just say, Lord, bless the church in Philippi. He prayed for specific women who couldn't get along with one another. And he, and he implored the congregation to help them. He prayed for the Corinthian church who was in the midst almost of church splits. They had different groups in the church. And one person was saying, I'm following this preacher. And another says, I'm following this preacher. And Paul was praying specifically for these. Brothers and sisters, do we pray for each other? Do we pray for each other that we might stand firm against the attacks of the devil? Do we pray for specific needs and temptations of others in our church? As a body of Christ, we are called to pray for one another. And Paul, in order to drive this whole point home, says in verse 19, Oh, and by the way, let me illustrate my point. Pray for me. Pray for me. The Apostle Paul. Pray for me. And what did he want him to pray for? He said that words may be given to me. This is verse 19. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul says, don't pray for my physical needs. Don't pray that I'm going to get out of jail. I want you to pray for the gospel. I want you to pray that as a minister, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that I wouldn't choke when it comes to presenting the gospel. That I would proclaim it boldly. That I would proclaim it clearly and courageously. You see, Paul was in the midst of spiritual warfare. I mean, he was nose to nose, eye to eye with Satan. And he knew that he needed prayer. And I don't know, maybe Paul struggled at times, in, you know, in presenting the gospel. But, but he asked them to pray for him specifically. And then in verse 21, and this is something I actually I didn't notice. I'll give credit to John MacArthur for this. Uh, in verse 21, he, he talks about, so that I'm going to send Tychius to you, uh, and the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, so that he can tell you everything. And then he said in verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I always read that. To, I'm sending him to you to encourage you. But John MacArthur points out and he said, but he also sent him so that the church would know what's going on with Paul so that they could pray specifically for Paul so that they could lift up his needs. Well, brothers and sisters, if, if we're going to pray like this, then let's pray about spiritual things. And, and we need, brothers and sisters, to open our lives to each other so that we'll know what to pray about. We have to communicate. We have to share the struggles that we have. We have to share the battles that we have. We have to share the victories that we're going through so that we can carry each other's burdens, so that we can support one another in prayer. What a, what a lesson on prayer. We're to be God-conscious, selfless, watchful, Holy Spirit-filled, persistent, bold people seeking only God's glories in His prayer. I have to confess something to you as your pastor. This summer, I was really excited about having an intern because I, I knew it may give me a little bit extra time to maybe plan for the future and to do things, and it, it did that. But it also gave me more time just to spend in God's word and to pray. And the Lord really convicted me of something this summer. When I first started Kirk of the Plains several years ago, um, 
I prayed. I mean, I prayed like I had never prayed before in my life. I knew that I was in over my head that if it were up to me, this church would fail. And so I prayed diligently. And it was amazing to see the way that God worked. And he began to bless our church. And, and he began to bring people in. Uh, he began to provide financially. We weren't wondering if we were going to run out of money. And we began to see those things. And, and I realized this summer that I shifted as a pastor from a prayer warrior to a manager. And I began to manage this church. And I began to manage the things that were going on and the programs that were happening and the things that were, were the ministries that we were doing. And he convicted me this summer, Rick, you need to get back on your knees. You're not a very good manager. I am the head of my church. I will grow my church. If you want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to pray. And you need to pray like Paul's talking about here. Brothers and sisters, I believe that as we live the kind of life and we pray the kind of prayers that Paul is talking about here, that we will be more fitted to be made in the image of Christ. That we will stand firm and as we pray for each other that, that not only will each of us be built up, but our body will be built up as well. And so please, I encourage you, I implore you to take advantage of the resources that the Lord has given to you. And, and, and in that is the prayer that he has given us, that we might reflect his image. He is praying for us right now. And so let us do so as well, to follow the lead of our Savior. And let us pray in dependence upon the Lord and let's see what God's going to do. Okay? Don't forget... This week, pray for Dot. I want you to be on your knees tomorrow morning, you know, till about 3 o'clock. You don't have to be on your knees till 3 o'clock, but just, you know, be praying for, for Dot. And let's see what the Lord's going to do. Okay? Let's take a moment and just bow our heads and meditate upon the word that was preached this morning. Our God, we thank you so much for the, the magnitude of resources that you have given to us. There is no reason that we ought not to stand. But God, you know our struggles, you know our temptations, you know the difficulties that we have. But I pray, O oh Lord, that you would so work in our hearts and our lives to cause us to be dependent upon you. And Lord, I pray that we might Walk in your presence every day, conscious of who you are. And Lord, that our lives would just be a continual attitude of prayer to you. And Jesus, we just look to you, Lord, to do mighty things in your church, not just here at Kirk of the Plains, Lord, but your church at large. God, we pray that you would bring about a revival. Bring about a revival in our hearts, oh God, where we have grown weary, Lord, where we have lost faith, where we have just gone through the motions, we pray that you would renew renew us, O oh God, in your strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would pray according to your will. O oh Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you have given to us. And we are hopeful, Lord, uh, in a mighty and great way because of who you are. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.